Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Everyone, hope you guys are doing absolutely phenomenal. This is welcome back to another episode of the Sohail and Yasin podcast. And uh, whoop, whoop. as always, I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, my co host, Sohail. Oh, hail Sohail. There we go. <laughs> oh. oh, I've never said that to you. Damn, okay. This is, is like. Is that something you say regularly? This is like a running joke from like eighth grade because I used to say it non ironically. Okay. Like in eighth grade, I used to say like fully seriously. Like I was like, oh yeah, this is such a cool phrase. Like <laughs> this is this is me. And then I think like high school, I built the self awareness where I was like, eh, it's kind of cringe a bit. Um, so now it's like it's now it's like like a oh hell so hell. there we go. Oh sweet bro, <laughs> I, I, I did. I, that's the first time I ever heard that from you. Damn. But it's 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 the, it's the most clean thing I've heard. It's it's, it's solid. It's solid. Bro. Solid. If you ever if you ever have a, like a solo podcast or you do have a solo podcast, it should be called all hell so hell. Honestly, see the thing is that. Uh, f- it's good as an inside joke, but then people it's think too, I'm conceited. Too, <laughs> and then they're like, who is this dude? Like, it's, it's too random. like imperialistic, like you're going to take over like, yeah, yeah, 100%, exactly. 100%. But um, cool. With that with that introduction, guys, the reason we're recording this, we're actually recording this intro post-podcast because Sohail and I actually had a super, super awesome conversation that him and I got into without really even uh, knowing we were getting to the conversation. And so I think you guys are in for a treat because we are definitely going to be talking about a lot about interpersonal relationships. We're going to be really talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about all that gambit. So what else do you got to add about what it is that we talk about? Uh, emotional intelligence, uh, personal development, and obviously how to get a Lamborghini. That's a, yeah. that's the closing point. And, and if you stick around till the end of this podcast episode, I promise you, you guys will have so much more clarity around what we're calling the five-step process to have living a happy, prosperous, prosperous marriage life from two single guys who've never been married before, <laughs> but how that can help you uh, buy your Lamborghini and your McLaren. And so it's a really, really good one. I think uh, I really felt this was a solid one, Sohail. And so I think a lot of people should stick around till the end of this. And Sohail, unless you have anything else to go, I guess we can just let everybody jump right into the podcast. Yeah, just uh, here we go. Enjoy, dive in. <laughs> it's a very weird process because uh, Sharif and Adif talked to me about this. He, they, they explained it's the best when they were talking to me about it. They said that, just like anything in life, Yasin, you told us that in order to attain mastery of something, of any skill, you have to put repetition under it. And in order, once you, the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And so for us as Muslims, a lot of these emotions that we feel, a lot of these, uh, like I remember when I was, the, the, some of the sisters that I was talking to, I was so nervous talking to them. I thought something was wrong with me. I was like, I was trying to figure out what was going on. Like I was, my brain didn't come, like I'm a very logically oriented person. And now I'm feeling these emotions. And my brain doesn't understand it. And so the way that I get my frustration out is I try to do advanced calculus with like I'll try making diagrams and I'll try making like frameworks. and I'll try journaling and I'll try creating theories. And I'm like, I'm doing all this stuff. Right. And so uh, Adif was like, bro, knowing you, he didn't know what I was doing in the background. He's like, bro, but knowing you, Yasin, if you're feeling these emotions, you're probably building these crazy elaborate frameworks inside of Miro, which is a software that I use to build out frameworks. And the funny thing is, I don't know if I showed you this. Because you and I haven't talked about this stuff in a while. But uh, while I was feeling those emotions, this is, I'll send you the screen. Or maybe I could just share my screen. Uh, start sharing. Do you want to my screen? Yeah. 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 So oh I started, my I started, God. <laughs> I started building these frameworks. I was like, okay, I got to break this down. What are the phases? There's phase one, there's phase two, there's phase three. What are all of the pieces that have to happen within each phase? What are the transition points for each phase? And then how do you, like, how do you exit each phase basically <laughs> bro you just you made your own company right here this yeah, is literally this is literally tinder like a better tinder and then and then after that i uh and then after that i was like okay i need to understand why why this is such a big challenge so then i went into I, did i show you this no i haven't seen this okay so i went this is called the muslim american marriage challenge okay and so i went through all of the research that exists about muslims from a statistical standpoint in america and so i went in i and i i, I built a statistical model around this so muslims are one percent of the populations for three three and a half million muslims in america interestingly amongst the muslim population in america it's not a 50 50 split between gender dynamics and so it's a 35 percent of muslims in america are women and the other 65% are men. So that's mm. interesting. There's actually a lot less women in America that are Muslim than men are. From that, 22% of those are actually uh, between the ages of 22 and 29, which is the ballpark that I'm acceptable for, I'm, I'm allowing for right now for marriage. Out of those, 35% are actually never married. Out of those, 36% of total women in America wear hijab. 
Okay. And so given that you have so far in this, in this funnel, 33,957 individuals that uh, potentially could qualify in in the in the in the process, and so the black ones are the quanti quant quantifiable data. The gray ones are the qualitative data, meaning we don't actually have tangible evidence for this, but we can just try and make general metrics, right? And so, out of the, that 36 percent, what percentage would actually wear proper hijab, like not dubatta, not like hair covering a little bit, all those kinds of things? I think the percentage is a lot lower, but I just assumed an 80-20 split because Pareto principle applies to a lot of things. So I just assume, okay, let's just assume. On a high number, 80% of those actually wear proper hijab. I think it's a lot less. I think it's probably flipped. Maybe 20% are wearing proper hijab and 80% are not. But I just I just did it for the sake. Now, out of that percentage, what percentage of those actually have some sort of deen ilm? Because that's one of my criteria. I need to have somebody who can actually have a conversation with me about deen stuff because that's like 90% of what we end up talking about on the podcast. Mm. Uh, out of that, which which percentage has a dunya career that is actually, they're not like a teacher. I wouldn't marry a teacher. Uh, somebody who's like a graphic artist or somebody who just wants to be a stay-at-home wife or something, somebody who's genuinely ambitious. So what percentage of those, out of that, what percentage do I actually have an attraction to? And then out of those, what percentage can I actually contact in some way, shape, or form via social media, whether that be uh, through Minder, Moosematch, websites, or referral offline traffic? So when you look at this funnel, it's a very, 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 very small pool that we're looking for this golden fish out of. Yeah. So this is more like, food for thought i guess yeah so what are the practical implications of understanding the reality of the statistical muslim american marriage challenge that's the question and the reality of the situation is that once you do find a uh a base set pokemon i don't i've been I'm really into this <laughs> recently so when you find a legendary pokemon when you find the golden fish when you find the you've been fishing and you found the uh what do you want to call it? you found the you think you found a good fish yeah Okay. Then it requires for you to be open to compromising because you have to weigh what are the criteria for marriage that you have that are more important than others because you realize that the pool is so small, the pond is so small that you don't necessarily have the luxury like non-Muslims might or somebody who doesn't want a hijab might or those kinds of things to – to just be very picky in who, who who it is that you want to marry. And I have a couple of friends who have been very, very picky in the past as they've gone through this process. And now they're like 37 years old and still not married. And so there's a lot of realities that I think it's important to take into consideration. It might mean that you might marry somebody who you're not, you know, head over heels attracted to, but they do have the dunya and the deen side and that is more attractive for you. Versus somebody who, let's say you don't want hijab. The entire game gets so much easier if you're somebody, oh, I don't want somebody to marry somebody who has hijab. All of a sudden, the pool becomes like five times bigger. And mm. so the entire game gets a lot easier. And so I think there's some there's some compromises and some realities that you need to accept knowing the Muslim American marriage challenge. Okay, so making, I guess, seeing all those stats kind of give you this self-awareness of knowing that at some point you'll have to kind of balance out different factors of which you see is more valuable and what isn't. Yeah, and on top of that, it makes you design the systems differently. So I need to design a system given the realities of the, the environment of which I'm building the system for. And so when I didn't know how difficult the challenge was from a numerical standpoint, I was ask, asking myself, like, okay, how can I make this easier? Why is it so difficult? Why is it, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't make sense. And so I was thinking, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with the system that I'm using, the, the platforms that I'm using to search? What's an easier way to do this? And so I was just always asking myself, why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult? Because I thought it should be easier. I had this expectation that it should be easier. But now that I have the data and I understand the environment of which the system is being built for, I understand why the system performs in the way that it does because of the environment that it's built for. I see. That makes sense. Okay. So it's you like kind of... Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just, no, no, just going to say, like, so your landing page, all of that is made so that you can get to that lowest level that you can get to, I guess, on that... Fun on that funnel yeah you're trying the, the the landing page is there so that way you don't lose leads that you would uh otherwise lose as a result of individuals getting busy and uh, you want to speed up the process because if there's so many fish that are in the in the pool right let's say there's only five fish in the entire pond and you get a fish on the line and you decide that okay i'm just gonna take it easy i'm just gonna let you know let the fish just hang out i'm gonna slowly reel it in i'm gonna take my time on it then the chances of you losing that fish exponentially increase because you haven't started reeling that fish in quicker and so even if you get one of the golden fish on the line which that by itself is a challenge then 
you want to make sure that you have the the assets in place to be able to reel that fish in faster. Now, anybody listening to this, my my mom and my sister and everybody gets so upset when when my dad and I talk about like people and and marriage in these in these language points. Uh, so I don't mean to offend anybody, and we utilize these metaphors and these analogies to simplify the concepts so it's easier for us to conceptualize. Yasin because- respects women. Yasin respects women. We're putting that out there right now. Whatever we're saying right now, Yasin respects women. And to to, to be fair. Uh, not only do I respect women, I, put, I truly believe that any country, any society, any community, any family, any household that does not empower their women is literally functioning at half potential. Mm. I, I'm a very, very big firm believer on that is that if you're not educating your women, if you're not empowering your women, not empowering that they're in like in the sense of, you know, a lot of people take this to extreme meaning that. Uh, there's some craziness that you could go down to. But the point being is that you want to educate women because at the end of the day, they are half the per- percentage of the population or in the Muslim case, they're 36% of the population, just FYI. And so <laughs> you're you're literally not as effective as a community, as a household, as a, as a as an organization if you're not empowering your women. So yes, I firmly, firmly, and if sisters are out there talking about men in the in the, in the sense of leads and uh, fish in the pond, <laughs> I'm completely okay with that. So this hit is your scene up. Words. If you are talking about men like that, hit your scene up. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. If you are talking about it, that means that you know, we're probably on the same wavelength. And so, uh, help me up so we can get married. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's facts. Like as even uh, even logically, it doesn't make sense because uh, about like empowering women because yeah. like they're they're literally the mothers of the next generation so logically speaking if you're not empowering those people in place like you're just degenerating your society as as you go down the generations but that's interesting okay so as of right now you're i mean right now are you still tweaking the system or it's kind of just like leave it in place and then see what comes i think once you once you get somebody past the stages so i was talking i was joking around with my friend about this was that uh, some of the emotions that you feel they happen because you haven't been past that part in the game yet or you haven't been past that level in the in the game yet so uh, there's sisters that you know we got past the landing page we got past the introductions we got past this and then she gets to level three of the system right level three of the process and i've never gotten to level three it's like you know when you're playing a game and you don't know what you know what you don't know what to expect in the game. You don't know who what bosses there are. Yeah, what. you don't know what bosses coming. You don't know what's gonna happen in the game. You don't know where you know what what to go left or right. And so then your emotions spike. And so now at this point, I've gotten a couple. I've gone with a couple sisters to like stage uh, level five or six. And so now it's very chill for me until I get to level six or seven. And so right now I'm probably uh, with the current system that I'm talking to. I'm at level three. And so I kind of know how this game, how this le- how this level goes because I've been here before. And so once I get to, uh, I've had a I've had a conversation three times is the most I've had a conversation with on Zoom with a sister. So if we go past that, because after three times we realized we just weren't compatible, so we ended the conversation. So if we go past that with whatever sister I'm talking to now, that's when the level of like, okay, I'm in uncharted territories. <laughs> it's time for me to, you know, kind of go back to my framework building or figure out what to do next and see how to be able to. Uh, navigate these waters mm. so every like everything you had laid out in that framework on miro 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 miro, miro. um i guess as you got to each level you would just keep adding so like right yeah. now you're you're okay you haven't gotten to the next level so it's like okay this is enough <laughs> yeah exactly so after that you, i because you don't know what you don't know and so I, once i get there then i'll say oh okay there's a whole nother thing that i didn't know and so it's time to build out another framework for that this is from my perspective, this is so interesting to me because, like, you have this, like, insane level of logical thinking for everything and, like, planning out all these frameworks, doing everything. And then the second the second emotions come in, it's like, all right, now we got to manage this. <laughs> now we got to logically approach this. But, I mean, it seems like it's working. So, I mean, alhamdulillah. I, I mean, that and, like, I, was, I think I was, I was started talking about it earlier, which was that uh, my buddy was telling me, he said that Yasin for Muslims especially – this is not a process that if you make it to the end of the game in this process one time, that's it. You're never going to play the game again. I mean, unless you get divorced, you're going to go, you know, you're going to go for a second marriage or something, which again, no, nobody's fight is for this. We're just, we're just saying in America, obviously, play the, the game once. Yes, you only wants yeah, to play the game once. Only once, one, only once, only once. Uh, but so this is not something that you have repetition with in order to master these emotions that you have. And so that's why it's such a difficult game for us as Muslims is because you only play the game once. Versus for non-Muslims or maybe people who are a little bit loose in, in their deen, 
they'll they'll play the game multiple times and they're like okay yeah i know i i, I you know i've i've gotten back and forth on this le- on this level so many times i know how this plays out so for us these emotions are so new that our brains don't understand how to be able to like logically understand what it is that we're going through mm. and it seems like the way at least our generation's perception not perception perception um of like arranged marriages and how that all works i think it's weird because like when, when you first get into college or at least this was like my approach to it. Like when I first got into college and I guess throughout high school, my like con- conception of like having your parents kind of find somebody for you and then being part of the process was a very like, I was like, what? Like in my head, I was fully like, this is weird, right? I was like, this isn't for me. This doesn't make sense. Um, and obviously like on my own head, I was like, all right, I just need to put in boundaries for myself, make sure I have like my own systems in play of like how I'm like analyzing the fish and like figuring out like <laughs> what, what's for me, what isn't right. Yeah. Um, but I feel like at least like later in college, you realize like how much simpler and how, how flawed a perception of that system is because we think of it as like a, you're never going to know the person. You're never going to understand who they are. You're not, you'll never get a chance to actually get to know them past a certain level and then you'll just be stuck in something without understanding it like who the other person is and that perception in and of itself is enough to push people towards the other end of like okay i'm doing this on my own and then that's i feel like that's like a whole another like that that's just a rabbit hole you go down and i think just the perception that people have of how it is and maybe also the way that parents make it seem sometimes and I guess that's where culture comes in and kind of messes with the the image of how Islam approaches um, marriage yeah like really taints it and makes it like a very hard topic to address so what you're saying just so I can understand a little bit better so your the arranged marriage topic and I want to kind of get your thoughts on the what is your understanding of arranged marriage because a lot of people in the in the in the traditional sense usually arranged marriage meant that when you're interested in somebody you go to their parents Mm-hmm. And then the parents and the brothers have to approve you to then be able to have a family meeting where you see the, see the girl. And then maybe you'll get to be able to have a conversation with the girl in front of everybody else. And then you have one or two times to meet the person in the family and then you got to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's essentially what my idea of it was in terms of like how, how it goes about. Because the general the, – the baseline is that you don't get to know the person. Like it's, it's essentially right. your parents controlling yeah. the whole thing and you have minimal say in it. And then once they see, cause the way I'll see it is if my parents, like my parents don't know me fully to the way I like understand myself. Right. Yeah. So in my head, it's like, okay, they're making a decision based on what they see of me and what they think is compatible of me with another person. And then that will be the deciding factor versus like, I, at least now my understanding of it is more like. I have like friends who have like WhatsApp chats with like the girl and like maybe one uh, mahram, right? Yeah. And not mahram. Uh, was it mahram? Is that the term? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah you're good. You're good. Um, but they have like WhatsApp chats and like they're able to talk there and like that that something as simple as that was so like shocking to me because I was like, are we allowed to do that? Like, is this allowed? Yeah. Right. I was in the same boat. I was in the same boat. Same exact thing happened to me too. I was like, whoa. Like that's, that's the thing. We can actually do that. Like that's allowed. Yeah. And so yeah. Cause you, cause I guess it's somewhere. like, we, we like put these like harsh barriers on like what is, what isn't allowed. And then that's what just messes with the whole idea of it. And then people don't even want to approach that process anymore. When in reality, honestly, it saves a lot of emotional damage. It saves a lot of like, um, just not time, maybe time too. Yeah. Like obviously some people it'll take longer, but you're not. It, I, the way I see now is more like a facilitated marriage, not like an arranged. It's like your parents are yeah. assisting you in the process and like finding somebody. But to the point to the point where I was actually shocked where people who I know who were in Dean actually talk to their potential spouse after their after their parents gave the approval and the brothers gave the approval. Like, OK, this person is not a creep. We trust you guys. To, you guys are adults and you, we trust you guys with uh, they would actually talk like in phone calls for months by themselves for mm. months and months and months and months. And so I don't know if that's pushing the limit, uh, but a lot of people that I know who are in Dean, they're not, these are not people who are completely out of Dean. They literally had every, every Saturday, they might have like a two or three hour conversation with the girl or with the guy, just them two. 
every week for months before they decide to get married. Mm. Which yeah. for me was like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, no, like, like the only reason I like got actually put a pass on it in my head and like this is this is fine is because some of my shuyuk friends did, yeah. like, went through this process and I was like, okay, that it's fine. Like. Yeah. I, it's just there's so many like strict barriers that we mentally put before learning about the process that we just don't even approach anymore. And there's a lot of context that's invo- that's important to understand here because the the dean has a understanding of uh, there's no necessarily process laid out in the dean right there's just some general framework. I always talk about this is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala didn't get come to tell us what is and what isn't allowed in the norm the way that people think. What he gave us was hudud. Hudud means boundaries. Right, and so uh, just in the same way that uh, the dean came to regulate life. So if you understand what the word regulate means, in the same way that the the U.S. government regulates the economy, right? They regulate commerce, they regulate education. They regulate means that when the when a governing body puts boundaries and hudud around where what is too much and what is too little, but the government doesn't tell you you should do this business. No, they give you the boundaries of like, hey, you can't engage in racketeering and you know gambling and you know these kinds of things, and you can't engage in XYZ. This is the hudud. This is what governing bodies do at, at, a, at, a macro, at a macro level. And so in the same way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us hudud. He's given us uh, principles that we need to embody in whatever process that we design, we, that we design or we build around those hudud. And so given that understanding of Islam and understanding hudud and regulation, uh, it's now up to us in order to be able to create the system and the process given those boundaries and given those principles and given those regulations. And so there's a lot of things that in the modern era I think are important to understand for context because in the way that the process was done 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't Zoom, there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't WhatsApp, none of those things existed. So the question then becomes how do these new technologies adapt, how do these uh, make their way into the process given the hudud? We don't have an answer for that, number one. Number two, there was never a platform where you could, you know, Hafardin and Muzmatch, you, you literally always had to rely on your parents to be able to find for you leads because how else were you going to be able to network with anybody else? It didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So that was that's number two. Number three is the person, individual, since the internet has came out, the individuals have changed as well because we no longer live in a physical economy. We no longer live in a physical world. We live in a, in, a, in a world that's driven by ideas. And so 10, 20, 30 years ago, somebody who was raised in, let's say, for example, a conservative household would 100% of the time end up being a conservative product because you would be a product of the environment that you lived in. However, in today's world, you can put somebody in a conservative household, give them a phone, and mm-hmm. they could literally turn out to be a totally different person on the other end of it yeah. because of the fact that they could be sitting in their room ingesting different ideas and their entire mentality could be very very different and so the the type of individual that lives in today's world is a much more complex idea idea oriented individual than was 20 30 40 years ago mm-hmm. and so therefore it requires for you to be able to at a deeper level understand somebody because somebody could wear hijab somebody could have the background of being raised in a muslim environment somebody could have the background of having amazing parents and they could still end up being this crazy individual who's like you know I don't know, has crazy ideas because they ingested a million different things off of YouTube, Facebook, and all these things that they've been ingesting. And so as a result, it requires a more intimate process to be able to understand the person from an idea and mental perspective that never in the history of time has ever that been a concern or something that was needed. Mm, so that makes all of the boundaries more uh, difficult to approach because then it's like in order for us to actually fully understand the person, you have to kind of shift the way we view things or think about things. Yeah, it makes the entire it makes the entire uh, mousetrap, the entire process that we're trying to stick within these hudud, it mm-hmm. makes it infinitely more complicated. Because now you what you're the, the and, and on top of that, the person has changed, the technology has changed, the hudud has never changed because obviously that's what regulates everything. But on top of that, the other thing that has changed is that it's really um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I was on to something. There's a person I tried to give context. Uh, the person has changed. Oh, the idea of marriage has changed because of the fact that. Uh, the now the the newer generation we're really looking for is companionship. We're really looking for uh, best friends. We're looking for a sahib. We're looking for somebody who's a friend of life for us, not somebody to fill a specific role. The reason being is because luxury uh, uh, standard of living has changed so much in the last fifty years. Whereas before it was more so about 
survival. It was more so about, hey, I need a wife who can be able to do these kinds of things because we lived in a world where I had to go out and in order to make my money. Like I had to leave the house in order to be able to make my money, right? Because the internet wasn't a thing. And so as a result, I needed somebody to be able to take care of this other aspect of life that I couldn't do because I was, we were living in a, almost a hunter and gatherer society. I needed somebody to be a gatherer while I was the hunter. I had to go out and hunt in order to make my income, even in the modern era, like even in 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you're talking about, you start to leave the house in order to make an income. You start to go out there and hunt, quote unquote, in order to be able to bring something back home to the family. And mm. then that person who brought it home to, they had to be able to gather and put everything together like that. However, again, technology and the society has shifted where it's created a shift in even our perception of marriage because guys now can go on for a very long time without having like, we don't have to leave the house. And so I can do the things that house that I need to. And so what I need now, I don't need somebody to be a gatherer for me or a housemaker or anything. I need somebody who can be a companion for me. And in order to be a companion for me, you're actually going to have to be able to hold a conversation. And when I pitch to you the ball, you're going to have to be able to throw the ball back. Mm. And so all of these variables create such a monumental shift on the idea of uh, marriage and the idea of being able to find somebody. And that's where we're living in unprecedented times where the status quo and the traditions took us from the time of Sahaba, even before the time of Sahaba, to where we are today. But now all of a sudden there's these variables that have just at a catastrophic level shifted the entire playing field. Do you feel like any of those are kind of like uh, above your system that you have in play? In terms of like, <laughs> all of them are from the system. <laughs> as it, have you found a way to like track each of those, or kind of like narrow down them as much as you can? <laughs> I, even I am not that. Uh, um, I'm not even. I, I, I'm, I'm not that ambitious to say that I, in any way, shape, or form I can build a system that can take into account these ma- these because what we're talking about is variables that change the entire world, and so my yeah. system just it can only take into reality these variables and try and work around them because they are an inevitable fact but whatever system whatever machine you build can never can never overcome the the the, the issues it's, I, I just try to build it as close to as possible as as whatever we can make work mm. no that makes sense and when you're talking about the uh, like the hudu there's like general boundaries i think that the understanding that we have of that and this kind of goes back to our Islamic school versus like public school conversation. Like just the understanding that people have of that when they're in Islamic school isn't deep enough to the point where once they actually approach the real world, world right after that, like they have that in line or in mind to the point where they can actually like apply that and stick to their morals and values. And then suddenly when you don't have like a, a deep understanding of what those boundaries are or the... I guess not the flexibility of them. Like obviously there's like things strict in line like that you have to do and you can't do. But kind of over strictifying, I don't know how to what the word is there, but like over uh, valuing certain ones under that, under a general hadith. So like you're saying from an Islamic school perspective, when we go through Islamic school, uh, you don't understand where those boundaries are very clearly. And then when you come out, you... What what um so then you might over you might over become too strict on the boundaries is that what you're saying? Uh, I think I think it's like it feels like more like a turnoff like where it's like okay you don't understand that there is some flexibility to it oh, and yeah. that makes it inherently something you don't want in your life and because of that you'll kind of lean towards the away from Islam as much as possible type of mindset. Oh okay that makes sense. So you're trying to you're like yeah because you think it's too overly uh, restrictive. Yeah. And so as a result, you're like, okay, hey, I don't even have to mess with any of these. I'm just going to go and freestyle it and do whatever it is yeah. that's going to get me the result that I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's like also like why the topic of like arranged marriages and stuff like that are kind of away from people now because it's like, okay, there's like, it doesn't, they, they think it's like, it doesn't work in today's society, if that makes sense. Yeah. And bro, if we go down, if we go back, if if we talk about the problems that happen in how we were raised or in the traditional mindset of how to raise a Muslim, especially in the West. I, I have a lot of thoughts on, unfortunately, how I was explained marriage incorrectly in the sense of, I wish it was explained more so in the, te- in the, in the terms of you need a companion. And hey, when you're, like, let me talk to you about this. For example, you're 22 now, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when I was 22 and I was living at home, Nobody ever talked to me about this. And so th- I'm, I'm going to put on my uncle hat here and <laughs> I'm going to take it off in a second. Is nobody ever talked to me in the sense of give it two or three years. You can keep going. You can keep going. Sorry. 
Okay. <laughs> Is your your speakers are you you can only hear me, right? It's not going. Yes. Uh... <laughs> Hey, audience, me and, me and Sahil do this whenever we're little, trying to... Little just uh, <laughs> making sure the environment's right. Oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. Hey, just so, just so the audience knows, there's a, there's, <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's individuals that make it difficult. There's individuals out and about that make it difficult for uh, proper uh, open communication in the, <laughs> in the easiest way topics. regarding this regarding these topics how about we switch it let's, let's switch it up over all here right, man. And, uh, I'm sorry <laughs> it's all good it's all good this is funny <laughs> yeah yeah um so here's one thing that i'm very passionate about regarding marriage and i i would have liked i didn't know we were going to talk about marriage today but before you can understand marriage and before you can understand how to get married or how to manage this entire process of marriage you have to first understand the category of life marriage belongs in which is interpersonal relationships and the ability to be able to have a relationship with anybody, whether that be your parents, your friends, your family, you know, coworkers, and then included in that bucket of interpersonal marriages is not interpersonal marriages, interpersonal marriages, <laughs> like, included in that bucket of interpersonal relationships is marriage. Mm. And so there's certain foundations and usul that are required to be able to understand on just how to be a decent human being and have a relationship. Because if you don't understand that, and then you're going to try and build a relationship with on steroids which is what marriage is it's basically you take a relationship that you have with your parents your friends your family your coworkers, your business partners your employees whatever it is that you have you take those basics of those relationships you put them on steroids and you spend 24 7 with somebody and all of a sudden you get a marriage and so we could maybe dive into that if you want a little bit about you know <laughs> the foundations of no that works because uh what i was gonna actually ask and i, may, I guess maybe this kind of uh relates to it um because that, that has a lot to do with just emotional intelligence, right? And like oh, yeah. a lot of people, especially nowadays, that's like such a hot topic, especially among shiuch now, because they're like, okay, this is something that people within the Muslim, like in young Muslims kind of struggle with. They're not really like good at listening. They're not good at understanding other people's emotions. And even in like job applications, it's, it's such a huge thing where it's like, how compatible are you with your coworkers? How compatible are you with others? And it's like once you, some people who don't even have those like baseline interpersonal um, skills down, they're suddenly jumping into this pool of like, OK, now I'm trying to find somebody for the rest of my life. And then yeah. like what like what, what there's no logical reasoning for you to be doing that if you don't even have these like base factors down. Um, so I, I was just going to ask, like when you were doing your research on like running down your frameworks, did you go over like the uh, like the divorce rate or like how successful marriages are, things like that? Yeah, so uh, interestingly, when I started my search of, uh, as you know, I, I think I've talked to you about this, I have these brain dumps sort of different categories, and I'm just interested in different lives, and then different parts of life, and then uh, as the evidence builds in that certain category of life, then I'll flesh it out into like a paper or, you know, like like a full-on thesis or something like that, mm -hmm. and so I started really being interested in, in marriage uh, probably when I was 17, 18 years old in terms of just understanding, not for so, per se for myself, but really understanding the dynamic of why do people because every anytime I talk to my students while we're always older than me nine times out of ten they're always talking about their wives the, the sisters are talking about the husbands there's always some issues going on and I was like okay if we as an ummah want to better ourselves we're gonna have to figure out a way to be able to tame this beast of having your household not be the biggest distraction of your entire life and so I really started this search because I just heard every like my parents talked about marriage all the time when my dad got together with his friends they'd always just be joking around there about you know wife jokes and I was like okay until we get this this area of life properly in control, then it's not going to free us to be able to have the focus needed to be able to focus on other areas of life. And so that's how, how I kind of got interested in how to be able to have a marriage that doesn't suck up your entire life so you can still have a level of freedom to be able to think about how do I actually benefit the world. And so I first off, when I first started researching marriage, I actually started with all of the divorce books. And so I actually started with looking at where does the entire process break and why does it break? Because it's very easy to talk about how to build a system when and build a relationship and all those things when things are going well. But you only really know how to be able to make something work when you break it apart and you tear it to its bare bones. And that's what divorce is. is divorce is trying to fix and mend something that's breaking apart. And only when you're trying to uh, fix something that's breaking apart does it become clear where the holes in that original system were. And so that's kind of where I started was kind of just studying first on uh, divorce. Why does divorces happen? And it really comes down to the fact that people don't really understand the foundations of emotional intelligence and how to treat somebody else, how to communicate, all these expectations, all these basic things that are required in 
understanding relationships in general. We live by an airport or something. Oh, you can hear that. Damn. No, yeah, no. bro. <laughs> bro, I, I saw the levels going up and I was like, I was like lowering the mic to see if like this will help. Bro, you're, you're like at an airport or something. It's like, <laughs> like that, that, that plane just went directly over your house. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. It's gone. We're good. We're good. Okay. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So, um, yeah. So the, the bottom line it comes down to is, uh, it comes down to emotional intelligence, communication, expectations, understanding how to be able to get out of yourself. And this goes back to our taqwa concept because if you can't get out of yourself, then you can't, you can't actually connect to somebody else. And then the other thing I mentioned is that the reason why emotional intelligence has gotten so prominent in conversations in today's world is because, going back to my, my hypothesis, my theory before, is we no longer live in a physical world. We live in a mental world. And so b- before, you didn't really have to care about listening skills and communication skills and all that kind of stuff because of the fact that nobody was sitting down for hours at a time to listen to anybody before anyways because it was more like physically oriented world. It's not like we're sitting down in your in your living room and uh, like having massive conversations because we're, we weren't very idea oriented before. People mm-hmm. were very simple. Like if you look at your parents and, you know, in, growing up in the 80s and 70s and those kinds of things. People were more like active. They were more doing things together as a camaraderie of doing physical activities together. This idea of like we're going to sit together and have high-level intellectual conversations and debates and YouTube and all this didn't exist. And so that's why emotional intelligence became such – because we became more complicated as individuals. And so being able to uh, have empathy for that level of emotion for somebody else became higher in importance when we moved into this more mental-oriented world. Mm. And a lot of the times I also think about how – I guess maybe previous generations and marriages there, it's more of a communal thing where it's not like people aren't as, I, I think obviously like in America, hyper individualism is a very thing. Like uh, people aren't in their own sub societies as much. But my point is, is like in, I guess back home, the community was more emphasized. And so maybe when, and this is just me like hypothesizing, maybe like when people had issues between them and their, their spouse, they had like a community to kind of help them maybe, or maybe like kind of push them through those things or maybe there's more of an understanding of how um, people work with each other in those societies versus here where it's like, okay, it's just like the nuclear family. It's just us two. And it's like, okay, I, maybe it's just like not understanding compromise as much or Mm. what we should compromise and what we shouldn't compromise um, and feeling like, I feel like all of it kind of trickles down to the fact that we don't have an understanding of what we're, what we should be compromising and what we shouldn't be compromising. And when people go through divorces, sometimes this is fully hypothesized. This isn't my research at all, but you can enlighten me maybe, but it's, it's where people will jump the gun and think that certain things can't be worked out and they maybe it's like an ego thing where it's like okay this part of me i can't let go and maybe morality comes in where it's like should i even like let this slide or should i not and so you kind of jump the gun and make the decision that okay this isn't something that i can compromise on and so that's Mm -hmm. what kind of leads to divorce overall yeah i think uh but i feel like that's a symptom of a bigger issue so the in my framework, what I talk about is there's five levels for this five step process in order to actually get to the point where you can minimize your risk of divorce. Okay. So the first process is at the individual level. So even before you start the process of marriage, you by yourself have to understand what it means to be a good person in a relationship. Like you have to work on yourself to be a decent human being. I know it sounds basic, but I promise you in practice, most people are not decent human beings. They don't actually understand how to have decency and respect. They don't understand how to be not so be so ego driven. They don't understand how to control their emotions. They don't understand how to control their anger. They don't understand their own their, their own relationship with themselves. They are not even okay with being alone by themselves, right? So they don't they, they have so many compulsions. Their their habits are all messed up. Their routines are all messed up. So the very fir- the first step of this entire process of marriage starts with being a good person by yourself as well as in your existing relationships and understanding what it means to be a good person in a in a relationship in general. That's number one. Okay. Number two then becomes the uh, the search process. So how do you then conduct a search? regarding the people that you're looking for what is and that also requires a level of self-awareness to be understand okay who am i and what is it that i need in somebody else that's going to be compatible with me that's number two number three then becomes okay i found somebody who's a general compatibility based off my deal 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 breakers how do i then qualify this person to make sure that they are actually the kind of person that i want to marry 
Okay. Then when I actually marry the person at the end of the qualification process, how do I onboard that person? So this is very similar to when you hire an employee inside of an organization. Did you, uh, um, your internship, have you done an internship before? Have you worked in like an organization before? I have not. No. Okay. So it, it, when you work in any organization, there's always a, this is similar. It models the same process here, which is that when you put out a job, like you say, Hey, I want to hire a web developer right? It requires for you to have self-awareness of what is the current state of our organization and what is it that we need. Out of that, we're going to make a uh, job description of, you know, this is the person that we need. These are deal breakers. If they don't have, you know, uh, three years experience in doing this, they don't have this degree, they don't have this, this, we can't actually hire them. Okay. Then you go through the qualification process, which is the actual interviews and seeing, okay, is this person, everybody, is this person a good fit after the more black and white deal breakers, which is step number two, right? Qualification process. Then you hire the person at the end of the qualification process. And then after the qualification process, you've hired the person. You don't just be like, okay, hey, uh, welcome to the team. Go out and do your job. No, 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 no. This is where there's high employee turnover if you don't actually have a good onboarding process. So you actually have to onboard the person and set proper expectations about what is proper in the way that this organization works, right? And so that way you have to have a proper onboarding process. And then finally, after the onboarding process, and they're like a veteran, like they're really a good employee, you don't just tell them, okay, hey, just keep doing your job. You then have to have a gardening system in which you are meeting with the person every single week to make sure that they're continuously growing, they're continuously improving, and they actually feel that they're part of the organization. They feel like they're, and that, that, that process never actually stops. Okay. And so the same process applies to marriage now. Okay. So number one, we said was you have to have self-awareness about how to be a decent human being by yourself, habits, routines, all that stuff. Number two, you have to have an idea of what are your deal breakers? What are the, the, the black and white you know, five-year qualification, this, this is this, like I need this, my deal breakers, right? So that way you can actually go to the marketplace and say, yes, no. Once you find somebody who passes the deal breakers, you then go into the qualification process. You go into, okay, are they a good uh, fit for me in terms of our personalities, our chemistries, attraction, those kinds of things. At the end of the qualification process, you marry that person, okay? Now, at, after you marry that person, people stop here. Cool, I found the one. Cup, stop shop, I'm done, that's it. No, 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 no. This is where a lot of people mess up, if, even if they got the first three stages right. Now there's an onboarding process where you're now setting the expectations of how you're building the habits between how you and each other communicate. This is where if you hear a lot of men who say, um, my wife, I married her, she was amazing uh, uh, before the marriage, and then when we got married, she turned into be somebody completely different, and she's that person that I married with all of her friends, but she's not that person with me. That is a result of the person messing up the onboarding process. Both parties, husband and wife, messed up the onboarding process in that there became certain habits in the relationship that they became used to talking to each other in a certain way. So for example, if me and Sohail, for example, Sohail's a very nice guy. He says please and thank you to everybody else. But then in our relationship, whenever I'm talking to Sohail, I'm a little bit rude. I'm a little bit off-centered. I'm all of this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, Sohail starts to develop the habit of not really being nice to me because I'm not nice to him. And so in this certain relationship, he starts to become a different version of himself than he would be to everybody else externally. And that's because the onboarding, the expectations, the habits, all the beginning start stuff was all out of whack. And you're saying this is post-marriage. This is like... Yeah, this is, what, this, is, this is probably the first 12 to 24 months of marriage. This is all onboarding. That's where you are building the foundation of what is going to be the norm, what is going to be the standard of our relationship. Mm. Do we do things this way or do we do things this way? And once that norm starts to develop after the 12, 24 months, it becomes very, very, very difficult to change later on because it's like a habit. It's like a habit you've developed in a relationship. Okay. And so I'm, I'm sure in the same way that you are your, with your family, like you probably talk a certain way with your mom and dad, then you talk with your friends. Imagine trying to change that now. It's very, very difficult. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now, after you get the onboarding process proper, you might even get the onboarding process properly, and then people are like, okay, cool, we're best friends, it was awesome. It could even last 36 months, depending on you know how things are going. So usually three years is what they talk about the honeymoon period of marriage, okay? So that's the onboarding part. Now, after that's taken care of, we love each other, it's awesome, amazing, da-da-da, people get com comfortable, people get complacent. And this is where the, uh, the last part, the majority of people can drop the ball, is the actual gardening now. In the same way that every relationship you can imagine, I could, I could talk about this when we talk about the uh, foundations of relationships in general. Even Sohail and I, we have we share a garden. There's a garden that has titled on the, the beginning of that garden. It says the Sohail and Yasin garden. It's a hypothetical garden that you can't see. In that garden, there are certain plants that Sohail and I have, have grown together, right? Sohail knows me in certain ways. There's certain, like we're, we're, we're managing this garden together. If we don't manage this garden, right? Some days I, I tell Sohail, hey, you know, I'm the, I say something, Sohail takes it wrong, Sohail says something, I take it wrong. All of a sudden in this garden of Sohail and Yasin, there starts to become weeds that grow. And so as a result, you actually have to garden the garden 
and actually have the time to be able to talk about like, hey, Sohail, you said this the other day, like you kind of hit me the wrong way. I, you know, uh, can we talk about this? I was like, oh, bro, really? I didn't mean for that to come out that way. Really, I wasn't paying attention. Oh, okay, no problem. Okay, cool. We're taking the weed out. So it has to be this ongoing gardening in order to actually maintain any relationship, but especially the most important relationship in your life, which is the relationship with your spouse. And so if that ongoing gardening does not happen in the way that I te- I teach it as if I teach marriage, but I talk to people about in relationships in general, is that having a weekly one-on-one with your spouse is extremely valuable in which you can actually garden the garden, in which you say, hey, how was I in the last week as a husband to you? How can mm. I improve? And the wife does the exact same thing. Interesting. Okay. And that becomes the ongoing gardening of the relationship. Are we taking time away now, especially when we have children, especially when we start to, are we doing enough gardening? Because a lot of people when they have children, and especially because children is very, very difficult. Your life doesn't become yours anymore. You especially becomes important for your guards to garden your relationship because at that point uh, you're living for your children. When are you guys spending alone time? Are you still, go, still taking time out to, you know, spend time together? Do you still love each other? All these kinds of things. And that's where people mess up on that part. And so if you complete all five of these steps within the process of marriage, your likelihood of divorce basically plummets. It goes to zero because you've actually done the qualification. Pro- you, you know yourself. You knew your deal breakers. You qualified them. You onboarded them properly. And then you, on, you, you, you properly guard in the garden, essentially. The reason I laughed is because the, the weekly check-in sounds like part of just like a logical like checklist that you do every week. So it's like, <laughs> oh, this is just part of my notion database. Yeah, just every That's week, just got to check off this weekly review. <laughs> But interesting. Okay. So I I guess within the gardening part, it's mainly communication. Like that's the biggest part. Uh, Whether it's, whether it's like weed whacking, which is essentially just clarifying miscommunication and then growing your garden, which is actively still doing things together. Yeah. Okay. And that's an argument. There's an argument to be made that all, all problems within all interpersonal problems, regardless of marriage or not, are all due to communication. Mm. All of them. Period. That's facts. Yeah, I I would also put an ego. I'd I'd say ego is part of that too, because that's true. I, yeah. Like a pre step towards the communication, like you need to be able to drop your ego and humble yourself before you actually right, go go out of your way and clarify yeah. things. But see that that I, okay, this is this is that was a fun. Tangent. Oh, I, I, that was, I, I just I just commented real quick. That yeah. was fun. Uh, that's the first time I've I think on a recording ever explained because I talked to a lot of people about this. Uh-huh. But that was the first time on a recording that I've ever talked about. Uh, the framework uh-huh. and that was actually really fun i've never I, thought about the the part after where you said um onboarding, onboarding and gardening i'd never thought about those two steps because yeah. in my head i mean obviously it's not like a, oh like once you're married that's it right like you just stop putting an effort but i never like quantified those steps as like those things that you have to actually put in play and constantly be checking up on because that that definitely would just take out every single long-term issue because in those first two years like you're setting the foundations, you're setting the standards. And after that, there can't be any like baseline miscommunication issues because you both understand the fact that like we there there are these certain rules in play of like what we should do in the case of this, what we should do in the case of this, what we should do in the case of this. And there's a, and there's a lot of personal development that comes along with that as well because you have to then learn how to be patient with your spouse. There's a lot of things that you have to learn about yourself in order to actually garden. Because in order to have those communications to garden back and forth, the other person is going to tell you stuff about you that you never even realized about yourself. And so you have to have not only the humility, you have to have the patience to be able to there's, – there's a lot of self-development that happens in this process of, of marriage and especially in the gardening phase. But that's where going back to your original question was a lot of people have to learn how to compromise. If you don't actually hit the first one, two, three, four, five, the first four stages, trying to get to stage number five and being like, okay, I have to compromise now is very difficult because if that person is just a completely different person from you, if you missed all the first stages, right, then it's like you're trying to compromise and you have to become a whole different human being. Mm. And at that point, then it's really, really difficult. You can't garden without all the other steps having led up to that because all the other steps allow you to get in the proximity of being able to change yourself because this person is not like 180 degrees different than I am. But if I literally messed up and I botched all the other process, I didn't know who I was, I didn't know who I wanted to marry, I didn't qualify them in any way, and I didn't do any onboarding, all of a sudden, the level of effort that would be required for you to be able to meet the person halfway where they're at, it might require for you to literally become a whole different person, which it's not, it's really, really impossible to do. And so in that case, then divorce would obviously, you know, make sense because you've botched the entire process. And you're saying the onboarding is the most, I guess that's where the phase where the divorces happen most because of the onboarding process being flawed? 
No, the divorce happens because people don't just they don't know all the five. Okay, okay. <laughs> they're just they're like, I'm a dude. I need to get married. I think I know who I want to marry. Uh, I think this girl is pretty. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're thinking through the limbic system, not through through, through their frontal <laughs> cortex. Limbic system is where all the emotions happen, dopamine, all those kinds of things. And then they're not thinking logically through the entire situation. They're like, okay, I think it's a good decision. Boom, I get married. Um, there's no onboarding. There's no gardening. And it's like, boom, divorce happens and we're just fighting all the time because I don't understand myself. That person doesn't understand themselves. We don't understand each other. We don't understand how this game is played. And then it's like you're playing a game and you don't understand the rules of the game. I think we made a podcast episode about this regarding the, the mental aspect. It's like you're playing a game. You don't know the rules of the game. And then you're wondering why you why you lost the game. Mm. It's like obviously because you didn't understand the basics of how you can play the game. Yeah. Damn. And bro, just the, just the fact that I, I think it's so odd that people – I mean, this isn't to like put us over anybody else, obviously, but the baseline emotional intelligence part is so flawed in so many people where yep. just getting to all these five stages seems impossible because it's like if you don't even have that first part down, like people are going to be working on that for a lot of their life before they can even bring another person into the picture and they jump the gun without even having that first one down and you already can tell, not tell, but like that in mind, the rest is not going to go well. Personal development, like that's where a lot of guys who ask me, hey, Yasin, I want to get married and all those kinds of things, which again, it's, it's very weird because I'm a dude who's talking marriage from this perspective um, and I'm not married, right? It's like, it's like, that, like what qualifies you to, to talk about this stuff? Uh, the, only reason I, the only reason I talk about it is because the foundations don't change from the interpersonal side. It's just the same foundations on, on steroids, meaning mm. I use this exact same five-step process in order to close Sahil as my friend. Yeah, I, w- I went through a ClickFunnels <laughs> as well. I uh, I applied there. Um, he saw me on the the dashboard. <laughs> he called me a couple times. We got thirty minute calls to make sure we were yeah. good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, but but genuinely, when when I first when I first met you, if you remember, um, we w- you know you were hanging out with your friends in in IACC, and I went through this process where I collected all the 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 numbers of everybody in the group, and then we had this event where I said, uh, you know, we're going to go for ice cream. So he didn't show up. And so then, so he'll felt guilty because he couldn't come to ice cream. I was like, okay, bro, let's hang out somewhere else, elsewise. Um, and so I'm, I'm still very, very conscious of the fact that there was an onboarding and you and I had to get to know each other. And then there's an ongoing gardening that is required in order for us to actually maintain our relationship and that I'm not stepping over your shoes. You're not feeling any resentment from me. Like almost every time after our podcast episode, I'm like, bro, you know, I feel this way. Uh, what do you think about this? And I over communicate to make sure that we're still good mm. because our relationship means a lot to me. And I want to make sure that I'm on, obviously on, go, on uh, onboarding it. I'm not onboarding, I'm ongoingly gardening it. So that way, you know, a year from now, two years from now, you're not like, Yasin, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. You just ghost me or whatever it might be. And I, I was so ignorant to the fact that there was all these blatant signs that were building resentment in you and that didn't that I didn't pick up on essentially. And so I'm I'm just very conscious in all relationships and I just understand that I take the same concepts, apply them to marriage, and it's just the same thing just on steroids. Mm. And dude, it's it's this is like not a reach, but it's just like a kind of tangent related to it. Where the this when it comes to psychology, people are always like, Oh, it's just like a thing where we put names to things that we already know, right? Like these are things we already inherently know. We just now have a name for them. But I think, like you said, analyzing those five steps and like making just the awareness of knowing that there are steps there that have those minute details to be aware of, that's what helps in the long run in terms of like the actual success of something. Because I think a lot of times we go off of intuition too much and we don't really think through these processes and steps, especially when it comes to like interpersonal relationships. Because it's like by default, we just assume like, this is a social gathering. We're talking with each other. Like, there's no, there's no science behind it. At least what we think of it, right? There's no it's like abstract. Very abstract. Yeah, exactly. And we don't learn in school like this is the science that approaches how we talk with people. We have like communications where we learn how to public speak and stuff like that. But there's no like f- fostering healthy interpersonal relationships. And I feel like, especially when it comes to these like emotional intelligence workshops and all these things, there's no like, there's no workshop aspect of to it. Like it's, it's, it's like you're learning the material and a lot of people who are learning the material are already so deep in their life where they have these like things ingrained in them, these foundations of like how they speak with certain people, how they act with certain people. And it's like, you're trying to change who you are at that point to fit this new way of talking. Like that's essentially like, that's such a big part of us, right? Just speech and social gatherings and, 
uh, I don't know. I feel like emotional intelligence isn't taught early enough and in a, in a workshop setting where it's like actually practiced. Yeah, um, yeah 100%. 100%. And, I th- and obviously that goes back to the idea that we talked about earlier was that the reason it's not talked about enough is because the world hasn't yet come to a realization of the shift that we've had in the last 10, 20 years and the reason why emotional intelligence is so important. Uh, the world hasn't realized that. And so obviously curriculums and education, those things lag behind reality by 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, one or two generations. And so in the same way that, you know, a social dilemma, have you seen the Netflix documentary? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Yeah. Uh, I was at the IECC for Juma two weeks ago and uh, Imam Azhar was, uh, he was on it. He was, he was on it, bro. He was on it. It was the entire khutbah was just, he was just on it about the how. The second, dude, the second he said social media in the beginning, I was like, all right, this guy watched the. Oh, he watched it. Yeah, I was at that one. Yeah, I was bro. at that one. I came to that one. I came to that one. And last tell week, me, bro, I haven't seen you in. Yeah, six dude. I I, I, I I don't know. I didn't I even think like. You're on house arrest. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. My mom let me go to that one and this past one. I can go now. So I'll, I'll next oh, this coming Friday. This coming Friday. I usually, I usually go to Quad Cities, but if you're at IUCC, okay, bro, bet, you, come uh, through. You better bet. I'm I'm going to IUCC, bro. That's okay, it. Okay, <laughs> bro. I no, it didn't even cross my mind to like tell anybody because I was like. It was like a shock. I was like, oh, I can go. Yes. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, the second he said social media, I was like, all right, he watched the documentary. He watched the documentary. <laughs> and then he went into it. I was like, all right, beautiful. But I have yeah. not watched it yet. I have heard opinions on either side of like approaching it. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you just you just have to look at. So a lot of people, I think they they, they, they lose perspective on history. And so whenever there's any shift like in the industrial revolution whenever the machines were first invented there's a period there's a honeymoon period regarding what was just invented it's like oh this is amazing this is fantastic everything's amazing we love to build we as humans love to build things up and then tear them down and so the honeymoon period of the internet was 2005 6 7 8 9 like all those years were like oh this is amazing technology iphone all this apps all this amazing it's going to change the world it's amazing all this stuff and now we're starting to realize like okay hey this tool, just like any tool that is invented, has pros and cons. And how do we then shift our entire uh, environment, our entire way of living to this tool? And so that's the second wave of the internet that we're entering now and technology and all these things, which is, okay, how do we then actually shift things from a scientific sort of society point of view to take into account the, the, the power of these tools? And so social dilemma, I think, is helping with putting that conversation out there. But I feel that people who get overwhelmed with this and they think that we're living they're like the world is ending this is all i'm like no bro like this is history this always happens whenever there's change in in society there's always a boom and then there's a there's a learning from that and then after that we normalize again and there's another boom this is just trends of life and so uh emotional intelligence is one of those things that is a part of this boom that we have to have a bigger conversation about and it's not going to be talked about enough within our curriculums given another 10 or 20 years it will be because people will have realized oh snap we're living on our phones now we have to have more emotional intelligence because it takes it higher importance in our society and then it'll be normalized and then the next generation will have another crazy thing that'll happen to them and they'll be like that thing it's not talked about enough in school and then it's just the way of life you know that's true that's true uh, the, the whole fatalist mindset of this is it, that was what was funny i haven't watched it yet. I, i'll watch it this week and we can go into this maybe next week of like the actual nitty-gritty of it but it's just funny to see both sides of it where some people are like, oh, these engineers just got fired from their job and now they're calling out like what, what's actually happening because they don't have a job anymore. And then some people are like super on the fatalist side of things where it's actually thinking that this is the end of our intellectual society. Like we're going to go down this rabbit hole of being like brainwashed by social media. And I think there's merit to both sides, of course, like in terms of like how uh, how impactful these things are. But again, like you said, it's 10 years from now, nobody's going to be like boosting it this much. I think it's like now we have the awareness. People know people do their own parts on their own individual basis. And I mean, at that point, there's only so much people can do. Like you can't shut down these things um, and change society to get rid of something. You just have to get used to it on an individual basis. And that's just it. It's the same thing like when there was a printing press. Like I really genuinely, if you look back at give it. A thousand, two thousand, three thousand years, wallahu alam, whatever, you know, life is going to take. But I feel that Muslims don't talk about the bigger picture enough because they always feel like Yom Al-Qiyamah is about to come tomorrow, which is taken too literally. Um, give it two or three thousand years, looking back at history now, I think that the internet and the phone and it will be top five of the biggest, te- biggest shifts in human history. Printing press, industrial revolution, internet. 
it, it's up there. Uh, like if you look at the if you look at the grand scheme of things, you could make the argument that it's number one, number two. You could make the argument that it's maybe number three, number four. But regardless, looking back, this is good. The time that we're living in is going to be a very, very, very big shift in the trajectory of of mankind. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure to watch Social Dilemma this week so we can we can dive into that. I have a lot. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts about that. But um, yeah. So the did we finish the marriage thing? We were talking a lot about uh interpersonal emotional intelligence there was a topic we were going off and then we were on a tangent uh it was the emotional intelligence not knowing about it uh people not learning it early enough oh, and then you personal were talking about social yeah. development yeah yeah personal so that yeah the, to kind of close out that topic it's just a matter of it takes work for you to develop yourself as a decent human being before you can then have the conversation about bringing somebody else into your life and how you guys are both going to be decent human beings together it's not going to happen if you yourself are not a decent human being. And so that's why I'm really, really a big proponent of personal development at an early age. I uh, My first personal development stuff was when I was 12, 13 years old. I bootlegged Tony Robbins' program. And do you know who Tony Robbins is? I've heard of him. Bro. Okay. Tony Robbins is like the OG of personal development. Uh, David okay. Allen is GTD system, getting things done system. Uh, that was 13, 14 years and I kind of got into that. So I've been doing it for 15 years. And so that's where – for me, I'm a big proponent of getting involved in personal development earlier on because it gives you the self-awareness that you need in order to be able to actually uh, get to the point later on in your life that you can bring somebody else in your life on in a very mature and respectable manner. Yeah, I think people don't understand the fact that marriage is two individuals coming together. And by what that means is like you as an individual, you're not dependent on things. You're, you are your own person. And even in that relationship, you can function as your own person. And to get to that point, obviously, like you said, personal development's required and people jump into it without even being like fully themselves or knowing who they are and knowing what they want. And then things just go downhill from there. And I get, I get a kick out of my, I think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like the one, I'm not very good at a lot of things. I'm actually very bad at everything pretty much. The one thing that I am alhamdulillah, quite good at is I'm very good at taking abstract things, labeling them and then creating them, making them practical. And that's maybe the only skill that I have. Uh, trust me, uh, if my future wife is watching this, you will come to realize that I'm I, I I forget to clean the lint out of the. I mean, the basic. I mean, obviously, when you leave the house, when you leave your parents' house, you realize how much of a terrible like basic human you are at taking the lint out of your dryer and like putting you know <laughs> basic stuff. I'm very bad at a lot of stuff. But point being is that I really get a kick out of you can actually make these five steps very very practical in that you can have worksheets regarding each of these and you can have actually like trainings regarding each of these. So like, for example, I recently for my business clients, and this might be something so hell that I can maybe put you through is I took my entire framework of my evolution of self workbook, which is uh, the framework that I use in order for people to understand their, who their what their why, all that kind of stuff. And, um, be able to come to recognition of who they are, what their strengths are and what it is that they want in life. I created that into a curriculum that I give to my clients now. And so it actually has worksheets in there. It's like, okay, you have a worksheet with like 10 questions on there to be able to define what is it that you want with your life? Why is it that you want that stuff? Who is it that I need to become? And so regarding the first step of having that personal development, after being in personal development for 15 years, I've now taken all that I learned, taken out all the fluff, and made them into practical worksheets that somebody can go through, that at the end of that process, they have exponentially more clarity around who they are, who they want to become, and what it is that they're doing with their life. And this is all based on research and science and those kinds of things that essentially those people who go through these processes, and I've kind of based my process off these processes, which are related to uh, you know self-awareness and that kind of stuff, the level of people of dropping out of college decreases by 70% of people who go through this process. Mm. There's a lot of research about this. They get, they get college students to go through similar activities that I based my curriculum off of to be able to say, okay, let's actually identify what happened to you in your past, come to terms with your past, figure out who you are right now, and then figure out who you want to be. Three things, past, present, future. And you build this, this curriculum in, certain way, in a way that somebody comes to the point where they understand how they got to the point that they are. They can make amends with all of the difficulties that they had with their past life. They can come to understand who they are at the present moment and who it is that they want to become in the future. And all of a sudden, they get this level of clarity around their life that allows you to be able to make better decisions, be able to plan for your life, stick in college if that's the most appropriate thing for you, be able to avoid drugs, alcohol, and bad friends. All of those things come as a result of that level of self-awareness. And so when you talk about the five stages of marriage, that first one, I really, really, really enjoy um, making it practical. And then obviously in my 
marriage frameworks. I've now created like nurture scripts related to deal breakers, qualification scripts related to Loom videos and all that stuff. And then um, onboarding, when I get to that level, I'll let you know. But I've done onboarding for employees, but I'll let you know when I get to the marriage thing. And then gardening once, oh, inshallah, if I, uh, inshallah. when I get to that point, I'll have some scripts that I can share with you guys regarding ongoing marriage gardening. Yeah, I'll attest to the fact that you can take abstract things and make them literally just by the screen share that you saw in the beginning of this. Like, that's enough That's enough merit right there that you can <laughs> do all of this. But yeah, yeah, personal development is crazy. It's crucial. It's crucial. But yeah. yeah. Alhamdulillah. That was, a, Alhamdulillah. that was a cool conversation, bro. Yeah, that was solid. That was solid. I, hadn't, I genuinely hadn't thought about like the, the onboarding and the gardening. That was interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we can... We can we can close out then on this. Yeah, alhamdulillah. I think a solid podcast, inshallah. We didn't. Oh, bro, we didn't talk about how to get a Lamborghini. <laughs> how to apply it to this, bro? Uh, McLarens and Lamborghinis. Every podcast has to talk right. about. Um, bro, this 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 the whole point of this entire podcast series. If we don't talk about that, then there's no point of us podcasting. You're right. Okay, so you have those five steps. So. Well, okay. I think it. I think it depends, because like obviously you can get it before you even get to the first. Actually, no, 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 no. Before you even get into the pool of marriage, yeah, you could have already had your Lamborghini or McLaren. That's true. So what we could say though is, if so, in order for you to have, in order for you to be able to make the impact, the income, the impact, and the freedom that you want in life, uh, you need to be able to have a a life partner. Because having a life partner is going to give you comfort in having somebody that you can uh, find uh, console with, right? You can spend time with. And so this process is going to allow you to be able to have the peace of mind so that way you can focus on your work that with your work is then going to allow you to be able to buy your Lamborghini and your McLaren. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. There we go. There we go, bro. There we, we go. go. We brought it full circle. That's that's the whole purpose of this entire podcast. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Cool, guys. Um, we didn't even do an introduction or anything. We just, yeah, we just no. started... We just went into it, but um, we didn't. Ad- I'm sorry, audience. We didn't really acknowledge you guys a lot throughout this thing. We're just, me and Sohel have been trying to build our chemistry and our uh, have a lot of cool more, cool more, a lot more water our gardens. To talk about yeah, water our gardens. And so I guess that's a wrap on whatever episode this is of the deep dive Yasin or Sohel and Yasin podcast. Yes, sir. All right, cool. we will see you guys next week, inshallah, and All right. uh, call it a wrap. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam.